Well, we're going to get into the message today, and as we do that, um, I just want to say, for those of you who haven't met me, my name is Martin Bowman. I am the newest pastor here at Crossroads Church. I am excited to be here. My family and I moved here from Northern California about uh, three months ago, and so we've been in the area um, getting adjusted to everything that comes with the move, getting adjusted to new stores, a new home, a new, new freeways, and a new schedule, new schools, and all the stuff that comes with just making a new location for yourself. So we're, we're doing that, but we're very excited to be here, and I am very thankful to be a part of the team here at Crossroads Church. Everybody that I've met has been so great and kind and welcoming, and everybody works together really well. Um, I'm excited to see what God is going to do as we continue to see what he wants us to pursue in his name. So before we get into the word, um, Jamie is going to share a little bit more about us. Hi, everybody. Well, we are honored that Pastor Gary asked us to share together this morning. And because we haven't had the opportunity to get to know many of you in person, we thought we would just start out this message by sharing a just two-minute snapshot into who we are and where we're from and things like that. Uh, Martin and I were both raised in Southern California in Christian homes, and we are SoCal natives. So this is coming home, as Pastor Martin said. Um, we met while we were students at Vanguard University studying ministry, and before we were dating, one of my first encounters with Martin was on a missions trip to Mexico, where he was a team leader, and I was on that team, and the whole group that went down to Mexico was returning home, and we were in our own van, and unfortunately, one of our team members became very sick, and we had to pull over on the side of the road for him to, um, you know, use the facilities. And I watched as Martin jumped out of the van, removed his outer shirt, cleaned the guy up, and gave him the shirt off his back. And it was in that moment that I knew that I was supposed to marry this man. He was my Prince Charming. So fast forward 21 years later, we've now been married 21 years. We have two teenage sons, so pray for us. And uh, coming to Southern California is like coming home. We lived in the Bay Area, as Martin said, for five years, and we never really considered coming back to SoCal, hello traffic, but God had other plans. And the moment that we released our agenda to God and we just said, whatever you want to do, wherever you want us to go, the door opened for us to come here and serve at Crossroads Church, which holds a very special place in my own heart since it was my home church in high school when my family lived here. So with that, we want to just say thank you for being so welcoming and loving to our family as we've been here. And Martin is going to continue in uh, beginning our message in Nehemiah chapter 4, and then I'll come the second half and close us out. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yes, that's a true story. I was, she doesn't know that I was actually just trying to impress her with my great physique when I removed my outer shirt. But uh, anyway... It didn't really work. <laughs> it was just kind of, a, that was a, just a bad joke, basically. <laughs> but I am excited to be here. Jamie's excited to be here. And we're grateful that we have the opportunity to be able to share the word today. And uh, we're going to get into Nehemiah chapter 4, the second half of Nehemiah chapter 4. And before we get into that, I'm going to give a little bit of a recap as to where we've been in the book of Nehemiah. We're going through the series right now that Pastor Gary has been taking us through called Rebuild, Rebuild. 
And in this series, we're hearing from the book of Nehemiah and the, reading through the account of how Nehemiah, who is leading the Jewish people, he's taking them through the rebuild of the wall of, city, of the city of Jerusalem. And basically what we've heard so far is that Nehemiah has been brokenhearted, full of grief, and completely discouraged and saddened by the fact that the city he loves, the city of his people, the city where his people worship God, is laying in complete and utter destruction and ruin. It's laying in rubble. It's been destroyed. The big defensive wall has been brought down and burned with fire. And so he seeks God, and he says, God, help us to return there. Help the Jewish people to return there. Forgive us for, for what we've done. Forgive us for our sins and help us return to the city of Jerusalem so that we can worship you again. And he asks for favor from God with the king that Nehemiah is serving at that time, King Artaxerxes. So King Artaxerxes does give Nehemiah permission to return to Jerusalem And as Nehemiah returns, he is constantly seeking God. He gathers people around him. He looks at the city walls, and he determines it's the right time to start rebuilding. He inspires a bunch of people to do this with him. And as they do this, they start to make some really, really good progress. God provides what they need. The people are energetic and focused, and they, they work with all their heart to be able to rebuild this wall. And then eventually what happens as they are building this, they run into some opposition. And that's where Pastor Gary uh, shared last week in the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 4. He talked about the opposition that the Jewish people faced when they were trying to rebuild this wall. And he talked about how we can deal with opposition when that comes into our way, when we're working on a project that God has provided us. So we're going to get into the second half of Nehemiah chapter 4. They're still facing opposition, and it's coming on really strong. And as we get into this, we can consider how we can, again, deal with opposition and figure out what we need to do to be able to push through those things. Let's get into Nehemiah chapter 4, starting at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said this, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near the enemies came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Nehemiah 4, 10 through 12. So in those two scriptures, we get a real quick picture of what's going on here. This opposition has turned really ugly. And at the same time, the people are are tired. So first off, consider the fact that they have been building this wall for quite a while and they're getting exhausted. They're becoming overwhelmed with the work. They might even feel discouraged because there's so much more work to do. It says that there's a bunch of rubble that has to be removed. So it's not just about rebuilding a wall. 
It's also about getting rid of all the junk, all the rubble, all the trash, all the stuff that's grown around the wall so that they can access it and start and continue their work. There is a lot of work to do here. But now you throw into the mix that they're worried and afraid. They're scared. This whole time that this wall has been built, there have been some people, enemies nearby, who have not been happy about the fact that there's a rebuild of the city of Jerusalem going on. They don't want that to happen. And so now that frustration from the enemies has turned to mumbling and grumbling about their work. And now it's turned into a full-on plan to not only attack them, but to actually kill them and their lives. So the people are worried and afraid. You combine those two things and you're probably going to want to stop the work and just give up. You know, what's really interesting too to, to note is that at this point in the rebuild, there is this substantial work that's been done. And scripture tells us that they're basically kind of halfway through this big project. Here's what Nehemiah 4.6 says. So we real... We, I'm sorry, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. Half its height. So you can't say they're about halfway through this project. There's a lot more work to do, but they have reached some significant and substantial work. They have done some really, really good work here. And it's about this point that they're starting to feel the most pressure and opposition about what they're doing. Now, if you've ever been part of a big project, you probably know that when you get halfway through, it's a point of celebration. It's a point where you can look back and see what's been accomplished. And you feel like, hey, something good has happened. You see what you've done. But it can also be a point where you kind of get discouraged and you might feel a little bit exhausted and frustrated because you've put all this energy and work into something, whether it's... uh, Uh, a homework project or a construction project or a programming project or whatever it is, when you get halfway through and it's a big project, you might look ahead and think, man, there's still so much work to do. How can I get the energy and the focus to do this? And it's totally possible that the people were just at this place. The halfway point can be kind of a blessing and it can also be a curse. And at this time, that's when they're facing all these worries and fears and they're hearing threats and they're feeling exhausted. And Nehemiah and the people have got to figure out what they're going to do. The question really becomes, what are they going to do now? Because they're scared. Are they going to run? Are they going to make their decisions based on fear and worry? Or are they going to do something else? Nehemiah has to figure out what he's going to say and what he's going to do and how he's going to lead these people. Let's continue to read on and find out what happens. <clears throat> Nehemiah, verse 4, 13 through 14. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. So here we see two verses that give us an indication of where they're going and what they're doing now. 
The first two verses tell us of their desperate situation. The next two verses tell us of what they do to change their situation and to address everything. And the first thing that Nehemiah leads his people to do is to resource and remedy the weaknesses. Resource and remedy the weaknesses. Nehemiah acts quickly, directly, and strategically. But most importantly, he helps them recognize that they can do something about this. Here's the biggest thing that they're concerned about at that moment. They're afraid of dying. They're afraid of being killed. They're afraid of being exposed and attacked by their enemies at any second without their knowing at all. And so Nehemiah, when he understands this and recognizes this, he makes a point of resourcing all the exposed places in the wall, the low places. Even though there have been, there's been significant work on the wall, there must have still been areas that were low and exposed. This is where the enemy could easily rush in and attack all of them without, without ever knowing that they were there. So Nehemiah leads them to do this so that he shows them they don't have to cower and worry in fear. Instead, they can face this with bravery. They can face this with motivation and passion, recognizing what they're fighting for. That's why he places them with their families. He has their sons, their daughters, their spouses, and reminds them that it's for their homes that they're fighting for, for the generations that will come even after them. That's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for all the things that God has provided them. He's, he's remembering them. He's reminding them to consider all those things as they continue to work on this wall and they address the weaknesses which they have in their project. He does that right away. This encourages the people for sure because now the very thing that they were worried about is being addressed immediately. Now they have their weapons, they have their motivation, they have their focus, and they know that even if the enemy comes, they know about it and they can do something about it. It's going to be okay. But there's a second thing that Nehemiah does as well. He doesn't just leave it at that. They know who they're fighting to protect, but now he wants them to remember who they're doing this whole thing for, who they're doing this rebuild for, who the project is based on. And that is the second thing he talks about. The second thing Nehemiah leads his people to do is to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. The people were worried, and they were unprepared. But now that had changed. They were ready, and the, they had the motivation they needed. But they needed also to remember that they were not alone. They were not at a disadvantage. See, at some point, they were probably feeling weak too. But Nehemiah wanted them to, to hear these important words. And he says this. They needed to hear this. In verse 14, he says, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He was telling them this because he wanted them to know that the God that had provided everything they needed for this project and the God that had been with them when they started this project, the God had, who had actually made it possible for them to even begin this project was with them then, and he would be with them even now in that moment that they were feeling worried and afraid. He wanted them to hear these things because they needed to know that they were not alone and they were not weak and at a disadvantage. 
their great and awesome God was with them. Now here's an important point that we should consider also about Nehemiah and his leadership. As we've read through Nehemiah so far, one thing that's really important is that Nehemiah's leadership is full of great character and an utter dependence on God. He never, ever makes a move without first considering what God would say and by seeking the Lord. He always does that, all the time. He prays, he asks God for help, he asks God for forgiveness, he asks God for favor. He is constantly dependent on the Lord. And that builds great faith and character in him, and that's why he's such a great leader in this situation. But here's another thing that we can pull away from this. For us who want to be leaders and for people who want to have great influence in people's lives, let's consider this. Nehemiah had to pull from that connection to God, and it was his time to lead. He had to make a great speech. This is his moment to make a speech to inspire everybody. And he uses the words, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And let's consider this. When we look back at chapter 1 of Nehemiah, we see something very similar in how he addresses God in his prayer then. This is what he says. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Do you notice the similarities there? Do you notice the same words? In Nehemiah 1.5, he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. In Nehemiah 4.14, he says, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. It's clear. Nehemiah was not simply saying these things because he thought they would help the group and encourage them. He wasn't just saying these as kind of trite statements or making something up that he thought would be good for them to hear and to motivate them. He was saying these things because he understood who his God was. He had seen God work. He had faith in his God because he understood God. He knew him personally. Personally, he had a connection. He had a deep connection and faith in God. And it was because of that he was able to energize and motivate and encourage everybody to consider that these things that they were being threatened with were just distractions. All they were were little things that were trying to take them off course. But their God was going to continue to be the same God who was great and awesome and help provide for them as they continued this project. It's clear that this is something that we can all pull away from this and consider when we want to lead people to Christ or inspire people to continue to do the work that he's called us to do. It's also clear that we can apply these things to our lives in terms of addressing our weaknesses, providing resources and, and remedies, fixes for the areas that are weak in our lives. Everybody has weak points in their lives. Everybody has something that we need to work on. So as we think about Nehemiah and his leadership and his deep faith in God and his dependence on the Lord, we can also consider that we can look to God to address our weaknesses and in remembering him, recognizing that he can give us everything that we need. With these things that Nehemiah led his people to do, with these two moves, there was a great effect, a profound change happened in the group that he was leading. They went back to work, and Jamie is going to come up and share more about that.
Thank you. Where Martin left off in verse 14, Nehemiah, Nehemiah reminds the people of the promises of God. And a very important shift happens between verses 14 and 15 that I want to bring to your attention. You see, in verse 14, the people were afraid, and then Nehemiah reminds them of God's power. And in verse 15, it says, when the enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And I want to note something here, that God came in and frustrated the plan of the enemies. God fought for them. God did his part, but now the people needed to do their part. This was not the time for them to stop working. This was not the time for them to give up or to become lazy. It was the time for them to get back up and return to the wall and continue the work that they had started. In our own lives, I feel like some of us are stuck between verse 14 and verse 15. We know the promises of God, we believe God, we have faith, but we're struggling. We're having a hard time getting back to the work that God has called us to do. We're worn out, we're discouraged, we feel defeated, and we still have our faith. We know God is real, but we just don't have the energy left to do the work that he's called us to do, and we feel like we are stuck. So sometimes we want God to fight for us, but we don't want to fight for ourselves. We pray prayers like, give me a better job, Lord, but in the meantime, I'm a bad employee because I don't like where I'm at. We pray prayers like, make me healthier after I eat these six donuts. Restore my marriage, God, but I'm going to sit on the couch and drink all night. Help my family members to forgive me, but don't ask me to forgive them. So you see, we want God to do all the work, and sometimes we don't want to do our part. You see, over the past few weeks as we've talked about this wall, it represents something different for each one of us. It represents something that God wants to rebuild in each of our lives. This wall represents something that has grown weak and makes us prone to attack from the enemy. For some of us, it's a relationship that has grown weak, and the enemy has just come in and destroyed our relationships. For some of us, the wall represents our relationship with God that has grown weak, and our spiritual wall has broken down, and there are gaps in that wall. For some of us, it represents something that God asked us to do, and at first we were so excited, and we were so energetic, and we were so purposeful-minded that we, we did those things, but then we got discouraged, and we gave up. So I want to ask you, what does this wall represent in your life today? You see, this wall wasn't just built to protect people from what was on the outside, but it was to protect what was on the inside. And we, when we have places in our lives that are left exposed, usually from hurt and pain, maybe from tiredness or discouragement, that is when the enemy often comes in and just wreaks havoc on our personal, our thought life, our spiritual life. So we need to be on guard against these weak places in our wall and look for the areas that maybe the enemy is gaining access. We expect God to do his part, yes, but we also need to do our part. I was recently at a church where they were having a Celebrate Recovery Sunday service. And if you're not familiar with Celebrate Recovery, it's a recovery ministry similar to Alcoholics Anonymous, but for uh, people in recovery in the church. And it covers all sorts of um, different 
addictions and, and just dysfunctions that we have in our lives. And one of the most powerful moments was when they did this part of the service called Cardboard Testimonies, which some of you may have seen, and someone holds up a piece of cardboard that talks about their life, and they turn it over, and it tells their, their story, their testimony. And one of them said, alcoholic for 30 years. And they flipped it over, and it said, free and sober for eight years by the grace of God. One of them said, consumed by anger and bitterness. And they turned it around and it said, living with love by the grace of God. One of them said, abused and abandoned as a child. And the other side said, I am a child of God. And as I sat there and I watched this, I thought, these are people that fought for their freedom. They fought for their walls to be rebuilt. They did not just sit by passively. They did the work that was needed for God not only to heal them, but to restore them. So I want to ask you again, what are the walls in your life that you need to be rebuilt? Look at verse 16 through 18. It says, from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore a sword at his, at, at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So these workers, as Martin mentioned, were already tired and worn out, and now they had to work with half their strength and half their body. They had to split the work in half, which was going to take them double the amount of time because they were now working with only half their strength. And when we're trying to rebuild the broken places in our lives, we can take a lesson from these workers in Nehemiah, and the lesson is to be ready. They had to be very motivated and very focused to get back up and continue to build this wall with only half of their resources. And I think some of us can relate to that. We have been working in this season with half of our resources. We have been working with maybe half our income. Some of us have been working with half our health. Half of our bedroom is now an office. Half of our living room is now a schoolroom. We get it. So Nehemiah directed the, build, the builders to get their families together and stand in the exposed places and not let the enemy in. You see, they realized that what was equally as important as rebuilding the wall was protecting all the hard work that they had done. So they had to have their weapons by their side, and they wouldn't succeed if they did not have the weapons with them. So what are our weapons? What do we fight with? Well, that is found in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. These are not the cheap tools you find in the weekly ad over at Harbor Freight. These are the best tools, the strongest tools, the most effective tools that we could have for this battle that we are fighting. They are tailor-made for us. They fit us. God has equipped us with every tool we need so that we will not lose. And if you fight this battle with the tools that he gives you, you will succeed. So these workers at this wall, they had their weapons on them, and they had to be ready. Their defenses had to be up. They had to be on alert. They had to work day and night, never stopping. So it's important that we have our weapons, and we're ready to fight, that we're ready in position. But I want to give you just a few quick ways that you can be ready to rebuild. And the first is to be ready for attacks. We need to be prepared that the enemy is going to attack us when we're doing God's will. He hates it when we obey God's voice and we do what he wants. The enemy hates it when God is trying to restore something in our life and we are trying to protect that. He tries to come in and discourage us. So the enemy also attacks us like these people experience when we are tired. Sometimes when we are hungry, he attacks us when we are worn out. So we need to be ready for attacks. The second thing we can be ready for is division. We've already seen in this book, there, there was division amongst the people who were rebuilding the wall. Some of them were discouraging the others. They were saying, we can't do this anymore. Wherever we turn, we're going to be attacked and they're going to kill us. So one of the ways the enemy attacks us today is division within our own churches division within the body of Christ. And we start to fight over things that don't really matter. We choose to be offended. We choose to hold grudges. We choose to not forgive. That is a weak point in our wall where the enemy tries to come in. Another way we can be ready is to be ready for the enemy. John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life. You see, the enemy does not want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to have healthy relationships. He wants you to stay bitter. He wants you to stay stuck in your addictions. So we need to have our weapons out, be on guard, be ready, and know that the enemy is going to come for us, but we do not have to be afraid. So I want to ask you, are you wearing your armor? Are you ready? Do you have one hand on the sword of the spirit as you go through your day and you encounter your enemy? Do you have the belt of truth on when you're surrounded by lies from social media telling you who you're supposed to be? Are you holding up the shield of faith in front of you for when the enemy throws those fiery darts your way? We have to have one hand on our weapon and one hand doing the hard work. When we are working for the Lord, we also need to make sure that we're not doing it with our own strength and power, but with the tools that he gives us. Nehemiah 4.18 says, the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Nehemiah was never alone. He always had this, this person with him to sound the alarm. And that was so Nehemiah could continue to keep watch over the project and do the leading of this project and be protected. 
And that's a constant theme through this book too, is that Nehemiah never tried to go rogue and do this on his own and try to take it upon himself to fix everything. No, he, he enabled the people around him to help and to do the work together. He surrounded himself with people who could help him achieve his vision for the wall. And in that moment of weakness where they were surrounded, he knew he needed someone by his side to sound that trumpet to keep watch. And in the same way, may we surround ourselves with the people of God, people who will fight for us in prayer and help us when we are feeling weak. Verse 19 says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So there's something else we can be ready for. We can be ready for victory. Our God is going to fight for us. Again, the people were ready to fight, but they knew that the ultimate victory was going to come from the Lord, not from their own strength. You see, God has equipped us with these tools because he wants us to be participants in the plan of God. We are participants in the process of restoration. He does not want us sitting on the sidelines for our entire life. He wants us to be restored, and restoration does not just come by sitting and waiting. Restoration comes through fighting. There is a time to be still and to wait and to rest, but there's also a time to get up and to fight, and we need to have discernment about what God is asking us to do. One of the things God has taught me is that healing often comes through being still on him and waiting on him but restoration comes through fighting for it. About a year and a half ago, I was in a pretty bad accident at work. I broke my shoulder and it took a long time to heal. I had to rest it, wear it in a sling and immobilize it for a couple of months. But in order to get my strength back and restore my movement, I had to go to physical therapy several times a week. I had to work very hard to get that ability back to use the shoulder. If I was just to continue to rest it and not use it, my injury would have healed, but my shoulder would not have been restored to its full capacity. So you see, healing and restoration, they go hand in hand. So let's not just settle for healing, but let's fight for restoration. Some of us want to be free, but we don't want to fight. We want someone else to do it for us. But God has equipped us with the spiritual armor we need to fight in this battle and to be victorious and to not only be healed, but also to be restored. Let's look lastly at verses 21 through 23. It says, So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So the last point I want to make is that we need to be ready for restoration. Because they were ready for attacks, they had their weapons and they had each other, they could get back to the important work of restoring the wall. 
I know from personal experience that it has gotten very cozy going to church on Sunday mornings in our pajamas in our bedrooms. It is sweet, I'm not gonna lie. But if we are not careful and we get into the habit of being alone on Sundays, we are going to find ourselves vulnerable. We desperately need to stay connected as the body of Christ, especially in these times where we are so far apart. We need each other. I want to remind you that you don't have to fight this battle alone. This is why the body of Christ exists, but we need you to stay connected. And that takes hard work. It takes vulnerability. It takes courage. It takes strength. And it takes discipline to get back into the habit of being together again and going back to church. And we pray that at the right time, that will be able to happen. But I want to make a point to encourage you to find a way to be connected to the body of Christ. And you've done that this morning, you're tuning in online, but is there a way that you can reach out to someone if you need help? Is there a way that you can encourage somebody that you know may be going through a hard time? How can God still use you in this season of not meeting together to be connected to the body of Christ? So I want to ask you again in closing, what are the exposed places in your life today that God wants to not only heal, but he wants to restore? And he is asking you to be a participant and fighting for it. And he will give you the tools you need and he will give you the victory in this area of your life. As you know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. If you didn't know, now you do. You may or may not watch the halftime show, but we titled this message Halftime for a Reason that these builders were at the halfway point, the half time of their project. And instead of sitting down and giving up and being discouraged, we want to remind you at halftime to get back up, to fight this fight, that you will be victorious and God will give you the victory. God has given you the tools, the weapons that you need to fight this spiritual battle. And it's time to get back up and to rebuild the broken places. Thank you, Jamie. This part of the passage, this part of the account of Nehemiah and his team rebuilding the wall is such a key part to the entire book. You can see that there was a massive change from when they were discouraged and afraid to remembering the Lord, realizing who was with them, and then continuing to do the work, going back to work, getting ready for battle. There's a profound difference from there to here. It's a key part, and it can be a key part for us as well. See, the main thing that turned the people around, in verse 15, we see it said, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. When they realized that God was with them, then they were able to get up and do what they needed to do because they were not alone and he would provide what they needed. The same is for us. This can be a key passage for us in our lives. Just as Jamie was saying about rebuilding our walls, working out the things in our lives that need to be fixed and resourced. When we remember the Lord and how he has been faithful to us, when we remember the Lord that he is good and he wants to give us things that help 
remove sin from our lives, that help us live a holy life, that help us pursue righteousness, when he wants to provide the things that we need so that we can become more like him, when we realize that, then we can have the resources. We will have the resources. He'll provide the resources we need to fix the areas in our life that need to be addressed. When we remember the Lord, he will give us the strength and the weapons and the things that we need to be ready for whatever is coming our way, whether it's an attack from the enemy or some kind of distraction, whatever it is, he can provide us the ability to be ready. But the key is that we remember the Lord and that we remember that God is with us. God is with us. We do not have to wake up each day worried if he's decided that someday maybe this is the day that he's decided to leave us alone. That's not how it works. At At the end of last year, we went through a series called God is With Us. Many people tie that, that uh, phrase to the Christmas season. And that's fine because that's a time that we remember that. But that phrase, God with us, is for every day, the entire year, all the time. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, every day. As we continue to seek God and we remember him, he is with us. He has promised that. He will be with us to the end of the age. So perhaps some of us are considering these words that we've heard today and we're thinking about what needs to be addressed in our lives. We're going to pray about that. But also, there may be some of us who are watching this who may not have that assuredness or that peace or that confidence that God is with us. And for those of us who are who are sensing that and thinking about that, it's important that we consider and we, we seriously think about making a decision to call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. You see, there is a God, the one true God, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to be raised again so that we could experience freedom from death, and the consequences of sin, and the evil that is in this world. He has provided a way. He did the part that we could not do. And if you want to have that assuredness and that peace that God is with you and that you are with God and that you are right with God, you need to make that decision. And myself and Jamie and all the pastors here at Crossroads Church, all the church family here at Crossroads Church, we encourage you to make that decision. Because that will bring a peace that only God can provide, not this world. So, we're going to pray. First, I'm going to pray for those of us who are wanting to work on our lives and continue to pursue God, who have already made the proclamation that we, we follow Jesus Christ. And then we'll pray for those of us who want to follow Christ. Let's take a moment. Heavenly Father, Every single one of us needs help in some area, probably multiple areas. Myself, everybody in, in, in this building, everybody part of the, who's part of this church, everybody in the world needs help with strengthening areas in our lives. But we can't do it ourselves. We need you, most importantly, and we need the family of God. So we ask, Lord, 
that you would give us the strength to find, and the ability to find these weaknesses and to face them and to get them fixed and resourced through your power, not our own, through the connections that we have at church, through the power of God. Help us, Lord, to be people who recognize that we need you in every single area of our lives so that we can have walls, we can have lives that are built well and strong. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you would like to make that decision, if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ, you can pray along with me. And then we're going to go into a time of singing. Um, When I pray right now, you can pray along with me. And if you make that decision, when you make that decision, I encourage you, tell a good friend. Tell somebody who's a Christian. Tell somebody here at our church. You can respond by saying something online while you're watching right now. Or you can call the church. You can email somebody at the church. Let us know because we want to help you. We want to help you with the next steps. We want to help you figure out what to do after you make the decision. It is the most important decision that you can and will ever make. Let's pray. Jesus, you are a good God. You are the only true God. And I believe that you died on the cross. And through your resurrection, I can be free. You are Lord and Savior. I want to commit my life to you. Lead me. Help me to live a life that's changed by your power. In your name, amen.